Hot round! Red 7, Red 7, Red 7! Don! What? Red 7! I don't know what Red 7 means. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. You don't think that lame-ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is gonna work, do you? Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch! Nom, 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 nom. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get me the ball. That's gonna make the fin difference between winning and losing! Welcome in to 11 Personnel, episode 69 of the KSR Football Podcast. I'm Nick Roush with Adam Luckett, and uh, I got to say, I'm very disappointed in you, Luckett, for multiple reasons. Start off with reason number one. Well, first off, I said episode 69, and you didn't throw in a little, like, nice. Like, come on. I was... It's easy. It's low-hanging fruit. Come on. It was, it was right there. I... I decided to pass uh, i'm sorry i should have known of a, that's what you were thinking it's more of a me thing anyway too like let's be honest that's yeah, yeah. that's kind of where where my d- dad jokes that's your wheelhouse yeah it really is my wheelhouse the the second thing i'm disappointed in you is that you didn't have faith in the south carolina fan base their anger you didn't believe that they would finally get rid of will must champ damn it they finally did. Caslin and uh, now I can't think of the AD's name. Uh, old baseball coach. Uh, Tanner. Ray Tanner. Ray Tanner. They finally, they, they rallied the troops. They mustered up the money for the buyout. And the most overpaid coach in the history of coaching is getting paid even more money to not do his job. And my favorite line from this all, Luckett, was that uh, the quote from Steve Spurrier, who just had the most Steve Spurrier quote ever. When asked about Will Muschamp getting fired, yeah, he's pretty good at getting big contracts, ain't he? <laughs> but Muschamp is out. I we were we were talking about Saturday night during the Ole Miss game. You thought that the, it wouldn't happen, but my sources in Columbia told me that in the Gamecock Club or whatever they call their version of the Cake the Boosters, Club, right? They lost eight thousand due-paying members over the last year, and. uh it was kind of almost like the the Bobby Petrino situation, where as much as the buyout was, yeah, it cost you more to lose the fan base than to just pay for him to go away. Right. It just looking back though, like how bad was that hire? Well, it, the thing is, he like would it, just failed at Florida, and he wasn't it, getting good at Auburn either. Like their defense wasn't that yeah. good in his one year there. And yeah, at Florida, he had everything but a quarterback. So I guess that's what they told themselves. Like you know, he had everything but a quarterback. Yeah, it just by all accounts, must champ. He when he gets you in a room, kind of one on one, he just must be really good at selling you on his belief. Because even Florida to hire him at that point in his career was kind of crazy. And that's why he's like the – if Mark Stoops had his charisma, like he would have already been at, you know, God knows where. Because I, you talked about it a lot last year going into that South Carolina game, how you can tell Stoops. Stoops feels like, hey, I've checked off just as many boxes, if not more than this guy, but everybody loves this guy. And it's just because Muschamp, you know, he's a, the, the media, he's a darling. Yeah. And you can just see in the responses, how big of a, 
how, or how many friends, I guess you could say he has in the media. Yeah. <laughs> Just everybody coming out and saying, you know, how good of a man he is. Oh, all this and that, which may be true, but he's also getting paid $15 million to not work. Like it does stink that he lost his job, but I think he's going to be fine. Yeah. He'll be just it's not like he was going to retire in South Carolina. It's not like he just can't live there anymore. Right. And it's not like he's not going to get a job somewhere else. Ne- not Maybe not next year, but the year after. Well, He'll be a defense I think he should just do TV. Oh, do the Gene Chizik route? Yeah, but he, he he's bigger than Chizik. Like, he could be like a face for ESPN. ESPN. Instead of just the, and the on these film room things, he's awesome on that stuff. And how Fox is kind of using Urban Meyer as, you know, they're doing more like X and O and type stuff, more like Brainiac type stuff. I think they could use Muschamp. If he would do it, I think he'd be really good at it. Because so what's going to happen is – Get a second job while you're collecting that buyout. Well, what's going to happen is the sport is changing. So the style of defense you have to play is just different now. And so, like, if Orgeron fires Bellini, for example, and goes and hires Muschamp, I don't think he's going to be all that great, in my opinion. I think he'd be best off to take a couple years off, get in the TV, see how he likes it, and then make a decision. Do not rush into something. That's what I would say if I was him, but, you know, who knows. I think he would be awesome on TV. I think that's what he should do. Um, I think overall this job here at South Carolina, it's one of the hardest Power 5 jobs in the country right now. Well, and it's it's – because Similar of the, the well, re- the Clemson factor yeah. weighs heavily. The the Clemson factor and the expectations, because right that for too. all intents and purposes, Kentucky and South Carolina are they're on the same they're in the same tier. Yeah, for the most part. It, it, but South Carolina fans expect much more, and they've had the facilities longer. And at least in Muschamp's case, I mean, he was having to replace Spurrier, who I believe is their all time wins guy there. Yeah, but that's another thing. Like, we'll have to deal with this whenever Stoops leave, leaves. But at a non-traditional power, it is almost impossible to replace, you know, the best coach in pro, like in recent program history. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it with Fuente at Virginia Tech. Yep. Um, it's happened twice at Florida. Ron Zook failed Spurrier, and then Muschamp failed after Meyer. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a bunch of other bunch of other examples. You saw Spurrier and Muschamp at South Carolina. Yeah, um, and I guess to Fulber, an extent Fulber, you would up. say uh, Louisville, like whenever Petrino yeah. ditched him the first time. Right. Yes, that was the first time. Yes. Craig Thorpe. Uh, hell, you could say it now, but I'm not. I'm not going to kick Satterfield while he's down. Hey, our war against Scott Satterfield, water found its level. So like. You know, I, I don't see all of the the media folks all like mm-hmm. all shucks in them now because we we knew what they were, and I, I actually felt bad for this year. They just they've had some bad close game luck, and they, the injuries have bit them a little bit. Yeah, and then they, I felt bad for suckering one of my friends into betting for his team with me after I found out that Tutu and Hawkins and Hall were all out, and he didn't know yet. <laughs> but he had faith yeah. in his cards. So Even like, then, though, they still should have won that game. They put up over eight yards per play and still found a way to lose by two touchdowns. Oh, that's Scott Satterfield experience. But, yeah, and then I, I tweeted this out earlier this week. Louisville, two of their first three games are Ole Miss and UCF next year. 
and Louisville's losing Hawkins now officially, and we all assume Tutu Atwell. And their defense still hasn't really proven anything at this point. So it's very conceivable Louisville could go one and three in the non-conference next year. They could be a dog. It depends on what Kentucky does, but it's not crazy to think they'd be a dog in three of their four non-conference games. I didn't realize that they they opened with Ole Miss and UCF. How are they going to outscore those guys without? They're not. They're not. not with, that they don't have the ammo to keep up with those guys. No, and and that's the only way you can try to beat those guys. Yeah, um, I mean the defense next year for them, uh, it has to take a big, pretty big jump forward. I mean, it can't go backwards anymore. You know, they're, they're, well, I will give them like they're slowly getting better on defense. I think. Like, they're still not good on defense, but they're starting to get a little bit better. But they need them to take, like, a, a significant jump, I think, next year. Um, and, then, and then, obviously, year three, most of that roster will be his players that he's brought in, too. One more thing on South Carolina before I move on to the other thing that I'm disappointed in you. I'm actually disappointed in both of us um, about that. It, it we, we really goofed up, but – I wanted to add that, as expected, South Carolina's best players are opted out. You've lost J.C. Horn and the other cornerback. They're two stars. Really, they're only bright spots on that defense. Those guys are like, yeah, hey, no coach, I'm done for they're you. Be- they're, they're best pro prospects on the team. Both those guys will probably be top 50 picks. Horn will be maybe the first corner off the board. And then they they also had a couple guys opt out to the point that they had to move a running back to play defensive back and an offensive line and a defensive line just to kind of have enough depth there for the last mm-hmm. three games while Mike Bobo takes over as interim. If they're lucky, though, Missouri, they're just a couple of – they're at 56 right now, players available for yeah, Saturday's game. So uh, they might not have to play this one. They might squeak out lucky, uh, only having to play two more games. But did you – did you read what Stephen Godfrey wrote about Muschamp and, and the termination like it? I did read that post, but you'll have to refresh my memory on what so, you're talking about. Essentially, so Stephen Godfrey, he's on Thinking Out Loud with Spencer Hall on Mondays, and he writes for Banner Society. And he essentially, he followed the money in this termination. And like all times when you follow the money is that, Muschamp has this huge, enormous buyout, and he's a CAA guy. So it's not Colonial Athletic Association. It's, um, I don't know. It's an agency, though, that, like, basically all of the coaches in the country have. And Jimmy Sexton. What I thought was ironic in the post is he talked about how um, that, like, the kind of tertiary people that make money off this, that – he, he described it as the laxative that keeps the college coaching industry moving are the kind of buyouts and, and this kind of strings that CAA will pull. He mentions that, but then the second part of the post, he talks about Iowa potentially having a quote-unquote mm-hmm. retirement for Kirk Ferentz. They had 13 players file a lawsuit against the university. Things are going to get ugly there, uh, and they're not doing too yes, hot. Yes, they already year. are. Yeah, so like – yeah, exactly. So, like, this seems like the time to dip out for him. And in doing so, Godfrey mentioned, uh, you know, I wasn't as bad of a job as people might think. I mean, think of all the, the Hayden Fry coaching tree. Mark Stoops, for example. And I was mm-hmm. – when I got to that, I was like, so you are kind of trying to call CAA out on their crap 
but then you are doing the CAA thing where you mentioned another CAA guy in line for another job. Like, it's like, what are you doing? Like pot me kettle. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, I think there was probably, or maybe a, uh, I mean, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Kind yeah, of thing like, there. It was just like, yeah. like, dude, you can just, I, I, you can hide it a little bit better. I don't think we're that big brain like it, but that felt more so like, a, oh, well, let's, cause, cause let's be honest, like it, if that job comes up, you'd be a little concerned about Stoops going right, absolutely. the water. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things about Iowa that I think would be really attracting to Mark Stoops. Easier division, easier to get to your conference championship. It's a fan base that wants to play the way you play. That's big. I think that's the biggest thing that worries me. Football's on the front door. It's football first. Great stadium. Gotten plenty of money. They're not going to cheapskate you. They're going to pay you. There's just a lot. I mean, in your alma mater. There's just a lot there that that would be attracting. And now, now it, in that decision, it's going to come down to what he wants. Does he want to go to Iowa? And just be, you know, pretty much you're not, you're going to be judged against Ferentz, who went for 20 years, won up a couple Big Ten titles, a couple Big Ten finishes, was awesome. He backed up Hayden Fry. They've had two head coaches since 1978. Like, you're going you're gonna to be, you know, it's going to be hard to be better than those guys. So, where at Kentucky, if you stay, you know, you might have a statue out in front of the stadium come 2040. So, like, I, I you know, if you keep on this path where you, you know, being the winningest coach and you'll have, you'll have something named after you in Lexington. It's going to be, but he's getting to the point where he's, he's getting to, I think a point in his career where he either has to make a choice. It's either I go take a chance somewhere, try to do something else, or I just stay here and just become like the Frank Beamer or Gary Patterson of Kentucky football. And the reason why I'm not um, – well, what's the word I'm looking for? Because you're right. Like, all the things you listed off are right. Like, it, and add to the fact that at Iowa, like, the chance to play in the Rose Bowl, pretty good. Um, now, you would also worry yeah. how, I mean, how difficult is it to recruit yeah. your home base against Ohio State from Iowa. Like, it's a little bit apples and oranges uh, playing for Iowa versus Ohio State or Michigan State. Uh, than saying come play in the SEC, you kind of well, you're recruiting. A, you're you're recruiting a different part of the Midwest. You're still recruiting Ohio, but not but as heavily. And not as heavily. You're recruiting more. You know your own state, Iowa. You're getting into Illinois, Minnesota. Um, you're, Minnesota you're getting to Minnesota, yeah. um, Nebraska. You're fighting with Nebraska for players um, that area. But the thing that, like, if it were to come up, the the emotional conflict would be difficult not only because of the fact that he's racist kids here and i mean one's gonna start high school i guess it would be if you're gonna do it the year he's gonna start high school would be the time um i forget i forget his kid's name off the top of my head but i think it's is it joe no will will will's about to be a freshman in high school so you know something to consider now the other thing too with all the john schlarman his passing is definitely an emotional weight on this program for better and for worse. And you saw it with 
for better in Kentucky's offense Saturday. I mean, that offensive line played their asses off for him. Um, the tribute they had at Kroger Field for Sarman was incredibly powerful. And the kind of the, – the mark that he left, I think he, he helped this program in ways that we don't we, – we truly can't appreciate. Um, and I think it, he helped make Stoops a better coach. And how much that will tie him to this area – like, you know, I, I feel a little insensitive, even though, like, you know, it's it's been less than a week. But, like, there's definitely a lot of emotional things from this job and what he's gone through that are going to pull him in as much as the emotion of going back to your alma mater. He's been here a long time now. Eight years is a long time. He's it's been here so long. It's the it. longest he's ever stayed anywhere in his career. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe in college and he got out, he was a GA, so that's six years he would have been at Iowa or something. I think he was at Arizona six or seven years with his brother. But, man, I uh, I forgot. It, he's been here so long that he's told stories that I've already forgotten about. Like, I tweeted out this week, oh, man, I didn't know that Stoops was recruited by Nick Saban. Oh, we wrote a post about it four years ago, the last time they played yeah. Bama. But, like, I, and, and you know what is – I remembered because somebody was like, come on, you knew you knew that he got recruited by there. And I was like, I remember him telling a story about either him or Bob talking football at a bar when he got robbed. Outside that, was of Sa- that was Saban. Saban told that story. Yeah. It was, it was, I don't know. It was either his recruitment or one of his brother's recruitment. He, his uncle, Bob, Nick Saban, his uncle Bob went to like a bar in Youngstown. And they were sitting at the bar writing up plays, and it got robbed, and they didn't even, well, didn't even know. That was the second part of the post, and I forgot the first part where Mark said that he had to tell Nick Saban he wasn't going to Michigan State and said, yeah, he didn't like to hear the word no. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's how long Stoops has been here. It's been so long that I've already forgotten things that have happened in this era. So, um, you know, the, you're right. They'll look it in that the way things have kind of – I feel like we are kind of near in that crossroads because uh, as we saw in the one drive with Bo Allen, things are going to be different when Bo Allen's quarterback. Well, I think in the point of Stoops, I think last offseason was a big one. I think I always said get through last offseason big, and it was these next, I think, two offseasons. If you get through these two, I think he's coaching here for like 20 years. Good if you about me. <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned the emotional heartstrings he would feel if he went to Iowa. If he ended up leaving, Kentucky would turn around and play those same strings with Neil Brown. Just fiddling them. <laughs> yeah. They would just they just they would just get played with those, but they would bounce it right back and try to get it with Neil. Because I don't I mean, I, you're right, it's kind of insensitive, but you hear like you heard Neil just talking about, you know, the memories at Kentucky with Schlarman and all that. And, like, oh, I, 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 it's hard not to imagine envision him, like, one day being the head coach here. I, I mean. Oh, well, just the way Neil talks, he's just such a coach, you know, and he's got that accent that just hits all the right notes. Yeah, and, well, he's. I think, too, he just sounds like one of us. Like, the way he talks and just mm-hmm. – it just – I don't know. I mean, I've, all, about I, the I, thought that, I thought that since he – since Kentucky hired him to be a coordinator at the time – I thought he should have been a candidate for the head coaching spot because Kentucky was in such a bad spot. Here's this young up-and-comer guy. He's from Kentucky. You know, he's passed all the checkpoints. I thought it might be a guy they would want to take a chance on. But now, you know, you look what he's doing. And this year they're 
they're getting some stuff done now. Right. No, they certainly are. Uh, but it'd be hard to get him to leave. West Virginia is a good job for him. It's tough to recruit in the Big 12, um, but it's a good job. You can win there, and you can win consistently there. So it'd be hard for him to leave. But that's something I thought about for sure. If if Stoops went to Iowa and they played that, you know, that coming home aspect, Kentucky could turn around and play it just as hard to Neil Brown. Cue up the, uh, the P. Diddy. Yeah. Or actually, no, that was like Danity Kane, wasn't it? Wasn't that like his um, passion making the band project that made that song? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it was Danity Kane. I'm coming. And also Brown, when he was giving that speech about Schlarman, which I would I would uh, highly recommend anybody go on and watch that Man, memorial it's, service. It's, it's sad, but it's great at the same time. Yeah. Um, because they tell guys. stories, and you could tell how much um, he meant to everybody. And it really was a great, I thought, just a, a event to just show how appreciated it was. But the story of Bunchy Stallings when they're walking in the it's snow. my favorite story, man. I love and, it. Uh, he, he doesn't have tennis shoes. He just has dress shoes on. And he's like, <laughs> the one time you don't have tennis shoes, he's, and Schlarman give. I mean, this is an all-time line. I bet he used this line a thousand times in his life. He said <laughs> – he said, don't worry, I can do it. I was all SEC, <laughs> which is just all time. <laughs> like, that's something you would say. And then that's, the, something you would, that's something you would say, like, like, in high school. Like, you're just out of high school. Oh, I, don't, I can do it. I was all district. <laughs> but to say, yeah, I can do it. I was all SEC. You know he's probably said that 8,000 times in his life. And then imagining, too, like, Neil's not a big guy. He's a little guy. Imagining him like picking up Schlarman off the side of the highway in like yeah. Hoover, snowy Hoover, Alabama. This little guy, this big old lineman. Oh, man. That's hilarious. And then the other part that I thought was really funny too, where whenever uh, Nia was like, man, you know, John, he, he loved the horses. And mm-hmm. the, the thing is, is like when you call somebody a degenerate gambler, you've got to be like, you've got to phrase it in the right way. Delivery is key. Yeah, yeah, delivery is key. Like, uh, my dad said that Churchill Down stock dropped a few points whenever Paul Horning passed away. Like, that's a that's right. a that's a fun way to to call somebody. Like, oh, they 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 really like the horses. And when Neil Neil said, you know, John, he was one of those guys. We travel all over the country together, going to coaching clinics, and you go to New York, Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty. Nope, Belmont Park uh hollywood you, you go to los angeles see the beach the pier nope santa anita park oh we're going to new orleans what about uh bourbon street you know that's a great time nope we're at the fairgrounds mm-hmm. i was like oh man that's my, that's my kind of guy i and i had no idea so that's why he was so good that's why they always went to keeneland for those official visits i don't like it got to show him the paddock he was sneaking off <laughs> make a few wagers yeah um but that it was uh, like you said. If you haven't watched it yet, go back and do that. Um, it was some powerful stuff, some really sad stuff, but yeah, I, just, it, Eddie Grant could hardly get through his. Yeah, yeah, and it seemed like he might have cut it off short because he was really, really tore up. He was really tore up. Seth Stoops gave a really good speech. I thought um, his players got to each say something. Yeah. Drake and Darian, and I mean they were all really good. Even the guys who weren't like your typical great speakers just hit all the right notes mm-hmm. um and you know that's that's really tough to do and i commend those young men for yeah. getting up there in front of all those people and speaking drake and fortner both are both really good just talkers i think yeah 
just staying at a podium, delivering a message. Like you can, like I, I, I'm on the board. I think Drake Jackson probably be coaching offensive line at maybe Kentucky in about a decade. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, but but Fortner, you could see like you could definitely see that guy being the face of a con or something. Their delivery future. too is just you can't teach that really. You know, you just can't. Mm-hmm. But the I, we got to get back to making fun of ourselves in this case. Because this one we both got wrong, even though we, I mean, it was right in front of our, it was plain as day. It was right in front of our faces. We all thought, oh, there's only four games left in the season. You know what you're getting from Terry. Let's see what Joey's got. Well, we were wrong. Look at Terry Wilson said, oh, y'all talking about my job. This is my starting job, damn it. And went out, was 13 to 15. His only two incompletions were his only two bad throws of the day. In one of them, he gives it three more yards. It's a touchdown. Um, yeah, that's that's a throw he struggled with all his whole career. Just put a little touch on it down the side. Well, it's just like a 25 to 30-yard fade. You just got to throw it over the outside shoulder. You know, you really just have to drop it in a bucket, and he just, he just struggles with that throw. But aside from that, he was awesome. Uh like I said, 1350, 110 yards, two touchdowns. He finally got a little connection with his tight ends, connected on a couple of touchdown passes. And I think most importantly, like he got north south on some runs. He perfected the option toss pitch that had worked mm-hmm. so well in the past, but was just bad for most of this year. Took that to the house. And then after he made that mistake with Rose, he did the oh, it's third and a mile. Let me run for 1.1 miles and get the first down and yeah save kentucky and put some some much needed points on the board yeah. before half save them from two bad penalties kentucky had 38 points in their first 45 plays on saturday that's pretty good you can't yeah. do any you can't do any better than that you, can, you just can't they uh they the established the run with their backs they got the qb run game going zero negative plays yeah, Vandy was very much off coverage, so Kentucky took what they gave them in the passing game. Um, and Terry just, you know, he operated the game well. But that's when he's at his best, though, I think, is when they're asking him to just throw it about less than 20 times, maybe 20, 25 times a game, hit them with some runs, and establish the run game. Um, that was the best – outside of the Tennessee, that was the best game he played all season. I don't think it's really any, any doubt. Ole Miss? And their first drive was perfection. Like that's that's oh, exactly yeah. how like you draw it up. You scripted it, and it went exactly to plan. It really did. Uh, and and you know what I think is most important for the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And I gave some like specific things on last week's podcast, but a lot of it was just see them this team play with a little bit of confidence. And man, they had they had some juice out there. Yeah, and I think one of the more important. Like the, the the most obvious place you could see it was in Demarcus Harris, a guy who you know he, he had the mm-hmm. yips at the beginning of the year, and he was he was moving confidently out there between him and the tight ends. Upshaw going and grabbing that one pass from Bo Allen, like it, well, the was, rig the rig catch was a heck of a catch for him. I thought he went he went and tracked it and gave a nice extension and got the catch for a touchdown on the first drive. It was a, just it was great to see the offense get their swag back and like it it's also great to see that, that the Akron Zips are like playing football that is hanging in there the man football we got game. a game here they were 
Tom Fernelli's lock of the century or whatever, his trust the process was getting the Pick zips. Of the day. Yeah, his the zips. They uh, oh, I like the end too. He like put his head forward like he was crossing the finish line and track me. But man, mm-hmm. I they were the worst team in college football last year, either them or UMass, and now they're hanging in with the yeah. flashes. Mm-hmm. A little snow on the ground. I know you love the snow. Pretty good game here. They're getting up and down, both teams. But back to the offense, though, like it. I don't think that this is a, you know, I don't think we're going to see the like a, a gauntlet the rest of the year where they're just crushing yeah. teams or anything like that or outscoring them. I do worry that it was the perfect kind of offensive performance that Nick Saban needs to show his team to be like, see, the quarterback run, they're good. Like, yeah, <laughs> I kind of hate that because that's all Nick Saban spent his Monday press conference was talking about how they haven't really played the Q quarterback run game that much this year and how Kentucky's effective in it. So, yeah. um, but it is good just to uh, see them do some positive things and feel like, hey, good things, positivity. We're moving forward. For the first time in the Stoops era, Kentucky put up over eight yards per play in an SEC game. Really? Mm-hmm. On Saturday. That's pretty incredible. And I, I just mentioned the 45 point or 38 points of 45 plays. That the ones were just excellent. Chris Rodriguez continues to be just a star. He's and with good. each passing week, I almost get more upset <laughs> that 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 this this guy wasn't a feature. Because Nick, I'll give you credit. I was I came into the year as like this is a three man kind of platoon at running back. They need to rotate these backs, keep these guys fresh. When you get into the last month of the season, they're just going to be a terror because they're each going to be fresh. Um, where you thought, I believe, that you thought he should be the feature back. And that, mm-hmm. that's right. Like, he should have been um, the guy from the get-go. Man. And it would have saved them a, t- a bunch of pains early in the season if they would have just rode him. And they're still not really even doing it. No. Which is – I don't get it. 13 He's cares. a horrible practice player. Who knows? I, I, I don't know. But, yeah, he's – He's a monster. He's a monster. He's got like a 67% success rate. Carry went for negative yards. He's on an 87 carry streak without losing a yard. Like he's just, he's falling forward and he's just getting the job done. Um, but for me, the moving Man, forward, these like last it, three weeks. Before you go on offense. though, I just, I, I need to just let you know that. Sometimes it hurts being so right so often. It just does. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. That's what my wife tells me all the time. <laughs> oh man, I did have to. I think there was there was at least one occasion today where my wife was cooking some soup, and I was like, "Oh, I think it's pretty good." And he's like, "Let me do this." And it's like, "Do you really need to?" And she did it, and of course, it made it better. And I was like, "Oh, once again, you were right." And like that really, like I know you kind of made the joke. They really are always right. I can't mm-hmm. I can't even remember a time like that's why we're just like feels- a broken clock. We're right about twice per day. And you know what? That's why this feels so good right now, like it because I don't I don't know what this feels <laughs> like. There you go. <laughs> oh man. Um but, but before I interrupted you, go on. But these next few weeks, like it's it's all about the offense. Like this is the measuring stick portion of the season right here. These next two games. Alabama, Florida. I think it's good that Kentucky's playing Alabama in this weird schedule for this reason. 
they just it's a good just a barometer where are you at as a program like where do you stack up athletically against these guys what are you able to do well what gets really exposed all of that i think it, it's a good test but it, it, it has to come from the offense because these offenses they're playing are going to score they're scoring on everybody you can just hope to slow them down a little bit but you got to be able to score so what can what can they do? What can they scheme up in big spots? Um, which really, I've been kind of going back and forth on this all week because this is the weirdest season ever. This this program has just went through so much with obviously Schlarman and his passing, Chris Oates and his, his situation, general, like just COVID nineteen, everything. <laughs> he, that you know expectations to have this really big season you know you think you're not going to have it you're going to have it and then the offense just being so frustrating and even in the wins they just boat race teams and then they've lost a lot of close games where they kind of just boneheaded stuff in the fourth quarter like games get away i just i don't so i'm hesitant to like have any type of expectations but like Kentucky's a 30 point dog on Saturday like is that is that like how do I judge that is that is that that okay what is it well not only is it fair that line's inflated obviously it should probably be 27 28 but but like is that acceptable I guess is what I'm saying like should should Kentucky be far farther ahead than that Um, especially in this year when you think you have some more pieces but then again I go back I keep going back and forth because there is stuff at play, obviously, and and whatnot. But well, I think the thing you don't expect, Luckett, is for now. I know some of this was he's in the middle of two funeral kind of. I mean, it was an emotional day on Monday, and he still had to talk to the media. But I've never seen Stoops as mad as he was in a press conference. That was 2013 level mad. I thought in in like he. You don't expect him to say that about an experienced defensive group where he's talking about, I see a bunch of guys who don't want to make plays, who want the guys next to him to make plays, who want the coach to make better calls. And he just went in on whoever it was. He didn't single them out, but he was pissed. And I'm sure some of that was the emotions of the day, but that's the kind of stuff you you don't expect to hear in year eight with an experienced group that's played, you know, oh, Oh, yeah, there was some – I thought some fluke, there was some flukiness to that Vanderbilt game. Like, they put up 5.1 yards per play, which was right on, like, their season average. So, I think Kentucky, the expectation should have been them to do a little better than that. But they still didn't give up big plays. It's just they – every time they had a chance to score, they scored a touchdown. And they converted and they multiple third and fourth year. downs. And Kentucky can't – like, yeah, they haven't done it all year. They were putting up two points – two point something points per scoring opportunity, which was – like dead last in the SEC by a wide margin, and they got 35 points on five chances to score touchdowns. So it was like, well, that's kind of fluky. They got these fourth downs. But Kentucky also, their defense, it's their 11 to 16 is what offenses are on fourth down in the last – since the first two games. That's so bad. They're just not getting off the field. And it was kind of the same game plan uh, Alpha Nerd put together. It, it was pretty much like Missouri. They said, we're going to run the ball. We're not going to have much success, but we're going to fall forward. We're going to get in third and four. Henry Brooks. And we're going to find a way to move the chains. Yeah. yeah. And it just 
it's just infuriating to go against something like that. And that's just kind of what happened. And then they, I think they, it's obviously lost focus there in the fourth quarter. And that's another thing with Stoops. He, he takes his foot off the gas to play other players or he doesn't want to blow teams out. So like anytime Kentucky's a double digit favorite, you got to be careful because Stoops is not, he's not going for the jugular. Especially this year when, like yeah. it doesn't matter to blow anybody out. It mattered more to yeah. get some of those young guys in because yeah. you don't have so, Maxion yeah. to to do that. Which so it almost way. costed costed you there at the end. I mean, it was getting real close there. <laughs> well, I mean, hell, they were up seventeen points with four minutes to play, and just they had the yeah they had the ball back. They're up seventeen with like five and change with a first down. Yeah, with the ball back, and that that happened. It was just crazy. Now. Thoughts on Bo Allen? Let's hear him. I think it's I think he's the best passer on the roster, but I also think Bo is just I think he's got a little bit ways to go before he's ready to really play. And also him, like, you know, he doesn't have the best help of receivers. But he didn't, I mean, he looked like he belonged out there. And I think that's – He missed on the one deep throw, which you would have liked to seen him hit. But I, at the same time, it's probably good that he didn't hit that because – Oh, man. the uh... That would have built up a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I, I do think that that was what was most important for me because, you know, there's still room – plenty of room to throw. The offense isn't really built for that right now. Um, you know, for that kind of style. But – to have the kind of confidence to come in there and start slinging it right away. that That's what you wanted to see. You, you saw a guy that, okay, we this guy's build as the future of the program. Like, this is for good reason. Mm-hmm. This isn't just like yeah. he's a four-star to be a four-star. But, but she also saw him get a, uh, a shallow cross batted down at the line. He out- overthrew Keaton Upshaw on the corner out. Upshaw just makes a great individual play. And he he missed on the you know the the route the deep ball, so it's also like that's when I'm still like there's still a lot of room for him to grow, and I think him being a redshirt is that that's there for a reason. I think that was always the plan. It should have been the plan. Um, he still needs some development, but he's yeah, got. And, I mean, he's got he's, some tools the, on both of those throws too. It's oh well if in. You think like two years from now when he's or a year from now or whenever it may be that he's ready to roll that throw to Upshaw, it's you know a little bit lower. That throw right. to Epps is five yards farther downfield or seven yards farther downfield. I'm yeah. really putting it on him. So, and, and hell, I'm sure he was pretty freaking geeked up too to be in his first game. So, you know, get a little trigger happy there. Mm-hmm. I love the fearlessness though, and that he actually did make the right reads and didn't get too overwhelmed. Right. And just kind of collapse. So, uh, I think we have a situation here where we've got a four-star quarterback from Kentucky who's not um, just the – he doesn't just have the tag of it. I think he actually is going to uh, live up yeah. to the, the well, bill. It's not only that. The program is all in on making sure he's successful too. That's true. That's also very true. I think you're seeing some of the changes they're making, the way they're recruiting the wide receiver and tight end position, offensive line, obviously – that they're pretty heavily invested in him being good. And I yeah. think a lot's riding on him to be a, a good quarterback. Speaking of 
how they're recruiting. Jordan Dingle committed Friday on KSR. Look at one, were you shocked? Two, this kid's pretty good, right? Yeah, I was a bit surprised. It kind of came out of left field. I thought that that thing was going to stretch out a little bit longer. And but also, yeah, he's a, he's a good player. He's got some traits. Uh, he's big, 6'3", 240. Um, on tape, he's pretty good blocker. I was not expecting to see that. I mean, just athletically, he's just his big target to throw to. He catches the ball away from his body. Um, so, yeah, you could definitely see him playing and making an impact on Saturdays. I didn't see it coming, even though I've – you know, heard like, eh, I've heard that UK's felt pretty good about it throughout, even though the folks on Dingle's side didn't necessarily always share that similar sentiment. So I was surprised. But after it happened, I uh, was kind of looking at the class, thinking to myself, look, it, it's coming together, that class. In, in, can you recall a better group of pass catchers? Ever? No, this is the best they've had in a while. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you'd have to – I mean, I'm trying I, to think who's like in Keenan Burton's class. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Burton and – were Burton and Tammy in the same class? I think Tammy was a year older than him. I think yeah, Tammy redshirted. Yeah, older than him. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're – like the game you have to play to think of a better group of wide receivers. Maybe like Derek Smith and Derek Abney. Were they same class maybe? Maybe. Maybe Burton and Dickie Lyons were. Yeah. Like, I think, uh, I, like these, these guys they got, they're, these guys are not like top 100 recruits. Like, it's going to be unfair to expect these guys to come in and be like impact or even close to an impact player as a freshman. If they're even like in the rotation as a freshman, that's a huge, huge win. But these are a, a type of level of, of player, I think you project three, four years down the road when they're upperclassmen, they're going to be making plays, all of them. Like, I think that's fair expectation to have. Like, obviously, they're probably going to miss on one or two, but for the most part, they're going to get solid play at wide receiver and a pass catcher. Um, and these are level that. these are level of recruits at receiver they just haven't hit on at, at, since Stoops has been here. And maybe it's the quarantine that's helped them or they haven't had – other yeah. guys. Well, it probably helped in the Crowdis recruitment, I would imagine. And I think it helped in Jagger Burton's recruitment too. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but hey, you know, it's still not signing day yet. We got five weeks away. Yeah. Which my God, that thing is gonna sneak up on us. Like you but that's gonna be a son of a bitch. Outside of Christian <laughs> Lewis, though, I think they're feeling pretty good. And then Lewis just had the tweet. Um, what was it? The UK sending the graphic and be like, what was it? Program Can't changer. Wait to change the offense or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So Summerall is in deep on that. It's looking like maybe AM might be the the team to watch out for there for Kentucky. Um, but the fact that it's not Auburn or Alabama, I think is a good thing. So it's not the home school right, really right. coming hard. So uh, we'll see. But I don't know. I feel good about Crowdis because, I mean, the visits is huge that they, these kids can't go visit places. Yeah. And Especially this late in the process. You should feel, I think, pretty good about it. I and mean, the, the class is looking uh, pretty solid, I think, right now. Now, I don't know if you're going to be feeling as good about Kentucky's trip to Alabama on Saturday. And 
you talked about it as a measuring stick like it, it w- do you do you have a picture of what success versus Alabama looks like? Yeah, well, Alabama's ex- they're really really efficient. So what I've been what I've been kind of describing them as is they they land bo- consistent body blows, but they can land haymakers at any point. So they're just just chopping at you the whole time, but they can bring out a machete at any time and just knock down the whole tree. Machete. So that's a tough bear to deal with. So what you really have to do is you have to play how Kentucky plays and sit back there, dare them to run the ball. Hopefully they run it. And then hopefully you can, best case, you can force some takeaways and you can, you know, get some stops there in the red zone. And if you can hang there, maybe get them to like 30, hold them to like 31, 34. If you could do that, that I think that'd be a win for the defense. And then offensively, we just got to see Kentucky do something on offense. We have to see something productive going against a good defense. I think Chris Rodriguez has proven he can run the ball mm-hmm. on good defenses. I think you have to ride him. And then you just have to find a way to get some type of explosive play. Alabama has allowed four touchdowns over 40 yards this year. Can you can you get one of those? And can you just hang in there? Like, you really just want to see fight and you hang in there and be competitive and make it a game. Alabama against Mississippi State, they they ran off for like 24 points in the first quarter. But from, but from that point on, it was an even game. Like, Mississippi State hung with them, even with their offense stinking the joint up. Alabama, I think, scored four, like 13 points maybe in the second half and seven were on a pick six. Well – for me, I mean, if Mississippi and they're State coming off, that, they're like I think there is going to be some rust with Alabama coming out, oh, or that it's a chance for us. That was one line that I thought was good on Saban, like that he pointed out today that this is week eleven normally. Normally, this yeah. is FCS week, and just because you haven't played as many games doesn't mean you haven't practiced as much. And he's like, you know, physically we're fresh, but psychologically I worry about our guys, just the wear and tear of the year and the protocols and everything. Uh, and he's he's never coached after a two-week bye, so I think there will be some rust. And that's why, for me, success is just one Saban outburst. Like just the where he just chews up Sark's ass on the sideline, just loses his mind that's when you know that you're you're touching all the right buttons. So if we get one of those, uh, I, I'll be pretty happy like it. You keep mm-hmm. it uh, from being too embarrassing, uh, I, I'll be pretty happy with it. Yeah, It's just a big – it's a huge stretch for the offense here these next few weeks. Yeah, playing a South Carolina defense at the end that's gutted. Florida defense has some holes. Big holes. This is not your prototypical Alabama defense – and you can, that means you can run the ball, like, downhill at them. So, I think Rodriguez should be able to have a good amount of success in this game. The key for Kentucky is can Kerry find a way to just make some say, make some explosive plays, whether it be in the pass or um, with the run, which I hate to do this, but I pulled up another stat where Kentucky's outside receivers, so it's like Bryce, or Bryce Oliver, yeah, Allen Daly, Demarcus Harris, Isaiah Epps. They've had like 40, I think it was 46 targets this season. They've had one reception that went for over 15 yards. 
And that was in the first game. That was that Allen Daly. I believe it was a slant that he took down to, to the inside the 10 before the referees decided not to give Chris Rodriguez a touchdown. Who? Who? So how do you have like any like that's what I say? I don't know. You just gotta have to figure out something. Like I just think it's. I think Eddie Grant, like his offense, they need to show something here these last couple weeks. Like you can't like this Alabama game is more of a wash, but Florida, that's a team you play every year. You know who they are inside and out, and that's a team you have you have to beat on occasion to get to where you're going, and you have to stay competitive with them. I, I don't think you can go down there like. I know Florida's great on offense and whatnot, but their defense is showing that they have some holes. And if you can control the game, you can hang with them. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you go down there and lose to Florida 47 to 14, like that's, I think that's, a dis, that's disappointing for the program. But then I say all that, and then I go back to just this vacuum we're in. How, you know, what's the mental state of this team? You don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And like you're playing these games in December. It's just the dynamic of the season yeah. is. And Alabama and Florida are playing for they're playing for the enchilada. Like they have national championship hopes and aspirations. Right. So Which, like can't can you match there? Because they're they should have some level of you know want to and locked in for play these games. What are you gonna be able to match that in this weird kind of season we're in? You would what? hope that you have an older team that you could, but I don't. You just don't know. It's it's the weirdest year that we've ever seen. What kind of total would you put on Alabama Florida right now? Eighty. Both get. Uh, yeah, it's up there. I would put yeah. Like 82. I would say eighty-two right now, but it would probably get bet up to about eighty-five. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts for an SEC championship game. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah, Trask is some points. Florida, like at one point, Arkansas, like in the fourth quarter, was averaging 10 yards per play, and they were getting absolutely trucked at Florida. <laughs> and yeah, Franks had a good day on his, yeah. on his return back to. And Rakeem Boyd yeah. had like a 50 yard touchdown. I think it was more, they, Arkansas got a handful of big plays that jumped that number up, but Florida just, you know, methodically down the field, eight plays, 75 yards touchdown. Seven plays, sixty-eight yards touchdown. And man, in Arkansas, and I think I saw a stat where, yeah, I think I saw a stat where Florida scoring on like seventy-five percent of their possessions. That's crazy. Like they are, they are, uh, they are ridiculous on offense, and that was all without Kyle Pitts against Arkansas. Because I thought Arkansas could give them some issues because they're just going to be like, all right, we're going to drop in coverage, um, we're going to make you dink and dunk down the field, and they dinked and dunk all the way down the field for a. 50-something points. Well, the good news is is that we're going to get to see more games this weekend. As of right now, Ole Miss A&M are the only that's, – that's the only game that COVID has slowed down so far. And we knew that was going to happen a week ago, the, the way that A&M, the amount of players they had with it, uh, it was just almost inevitable that we weren't going to get to see the lane train one more week. But they have said that they're going to play other games on conference championship game Saturday mm-hmm. uh, to kind of finish that schedule. But Kentucky's schedule is uh, unfazed so yeah. far. Which, by the way, it's sounding like they're just going to let Bama play nine games and make Florida play ten. Really? 
hmm. where how are you going to reschedule the Bama game? Yeah, like, there's no physical way to reschedule the LSU game now that they're playing this week. Yeah. That, and that's what I, I tweeted about on Monday. It was just, I guess they're just going to, you know, give them an extra bye week to prepare for Florida and that's the championship. Man, all those bye weeks. Saban probably doesn't like it. He'd probably rather be playing. Which, by yeah. the way. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what, but like, that's. Bama's going to play nine. That's what it is now. I don't see how they can play a tenth game unless you totally, you know, messed up the schedules and everybody's playing a different team on December fifth and originally scheduled. Question like it is: Are we getting egg bowl on? Is, is it going to be the Saturday afternoon? It's Thanksgiving Saturday. Damn it! Can they the game, put it Thursday night? The big game, uh, I don't think there's only two. There's two random college games on Thursday. It's no no big ones. They can't, they can't even put it on the Friday for us. But, yeah, I, I saw where Iron Bowl is still on that Saturday. North Carolina, Notre Dame is on that Friday. That's the big game that day okay. in Chapel Hill. And they're, they're giving us Raven Steelers on a Thursday night. So, it's, it's a good Thanksgiving. You get your rivalry yeah. fix in. Yeah, because the rest of them suck that day. Like, the worst kind of football games imaginable. But – I got worried when I thought about not having the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving this year because must champ. There's another uh, another domino falling from Elijah Moore's dog pee. Lane yep. Kiffin took him out. <laughs> what a butterfly effect that was! Oh man, and it keeps on giving. But and you know what? I think we've given enough on this podcast. I like it. Think so. Even though Scott Satterfield got his name mentioned. In that uh, South Carolina opening, did you see that? That was Ralph Russo. I appreciate your work, but dude, who are you talking to, buddy? Like Scott Satterfield ain't getting that job. That was definitely uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. My goodness. Jimmy Sexton, hard at work, man. Again, he's hard just pulling, he's pulling all he's pulling all the moves. There's going to be a documentary on him one day that's going to be pretty fascinating. I think. Not as fascinating as 11 personnel with Nick Roush and Adam Luckett. Am I right? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, listen, thanks for everybody for listening to this episode. Tell your friends about us uh, and, and come on back next week. Hit that subscribe button. We'll have plenty of excellent college football takes for you. And next week, you can hear us while you're driving to, I guess you're probably not driving to grandma's. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, but we'll have you locked and loaded before holiday travel uh, next week. So, Keep that in mind, stay safe, and remember to always go Cats and go Kroger.